0: Years before estrogen production completely shuts down, hormone levels start to fluctuate wildly during that special time of life known as perimenopause. Perimenopausal hormonal fluctuations result in the same symptoms that many women experience when they're in full menopause. You know, the hot flashes, vaginal dryness, and insomnia. But there's a bonus symptom that postmenopausal women don't experience, irregular and unpredictable bleeding. And in this episode, I'm going to tell you what you can do about it. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. When it comes to menopause midlife and what comes after, I'm betting you haven't gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. If women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here to give you the inside information. Before I get started, I just want to mention that there are still openings for the first Mastering Menopause Getaway Retreat this February at Miraval Resort in Arizona. More information is at the end of this episode or go to drstriker.com. Take a listen to Jill's question that prompted this episode. Hi, Dr. Stryker. This is Jill. I'm a 52 year old woman. And this past year, my periods have been getting a little crazy. Well, this last one started on time. It went for about seven days, but never fully left in the form of I would say spotting and then connected to a full blown period with very heavy bleeding. Two weeks later, my OBGYN recommended I take progesterone to stop the bleeding and restart my cycle. But I'm a little concerned about taking hormones. Can you please help me? Weird, unpredictable bleeding during perimenopause is common, but common and normal are not the same thing. It's common during perimenopause to have periods that disappear for months and unexpectedly make a guest appearance, usually when you've just boarded a plane and are wearing white. It's common to have periods that never seem to end. And it's common to have bleeding that goes right through a super-duper tampon and into your new, very expensive underwear. So while all of those scenarios are common and explainable, they're not normal. And in some cases, maybe an indication of a problem that has nothing to do with your perimenopausal ovaries sending mixed messages to your uterine lining. So the number one thing I want you to get out of this episode is that while your nonstop spotting, unpredictable or heavy bleeding is very likely a consequence of perimenopausal hormonal shifts, it may be an indication of fibroids, a polyp, a precancer, or even a cancer. So if you're having weird, crazy bleeding, three things need to happen. One, you need to be examined. IntelliHealth is simply not an option since currently Zoom has not developed the technology to put a camera inside your vagina to see where the blood's coming from. Most vaginal bleeding is coming from the uterine cavity, but vaginal bleeding can also originate from the cervix or the vaginal walls. After an exam, the second thing that needs to happen is an ultrasound. A transvaginal ultrasound of your uterus is the best way to get a virtual peek. in inside your uterine cavity to make sure there's no fibroids or large polyps. And an ultrasound is also the best way to measure the thickness of the uterine lining. The thickness of the uterine lining is a really good indication of what's going on as far as hormonal stimulation. In a menstruating woman with regular cycles, like a 20-year-old, an ultrasound can surprisingly accurately predict where someone is in their cycle. In the first half of the cycle, which includes the time from when a period starts until ovulation, roughly two weeks later, the lining of the uterus is thin since it's just recently shed during menstruation. The second half of the cycle starts at the time of ovulation when the egg is released. That will also cause the release of progesterone, which is why during the second half of the cycle, the lining gets really thick as a result of both estrogen and progesterone stimulation. The purpose of this thick lining is in anticipation of a pregnancy. I mean, biologically, the only reason to have a uterus is pregnancy. If no fertilized egg lands in the uterine cavity, the disappointed, sad uterus sheds to get rid of the lining and try again. Once a woman is postmenopause and not making estrogen or progesterone, the lining is very thin and inactive. Nothing should be happening. But if the lining is thick in a post woman, it's often an indication of an abnormal buildup. In a perimenopause woman, the uterine lining is getting all kinds of mixed messages. Sometimes there's a lot of estrogen, sometimes just a little. Sometimes since ovulation is sporadic or absent altogether, there's progesterone and sometimes there's no progesterone. And if no progesterone is around, the lining can get really thick. And when it gets too thick, it's going to bleed, which explains irregular, heavy, and continuous bleeding. And just to make things more complicated, the uterine lining can have some areas that are thick and other parts that are thin. I mean, no wonder some women are constantly bleeding. This poor, confused uterus just keeps on shedding. In any case, if the lining on ultrasound is thick or if there's persistent or recurrent abnormal bleeding, it's time to move on and do number three a biopsy of the lining of the uterus. The word biopsy is scary, not just because it's a procedure which sounds invasive and painful, but because the word biopsy implies that cancer is a possibility. And yeah, of course you want to make sure there's no cancer or precancer, but a biopsy isn't just to look for cancer. A biopsy will tell me what's going on hormonally. And no, a blood test is not helpful. Perimenopausal blood hormone levels fluctuate wildly and a blood test will not tell me what's going on with your uterine lining or explain why you're bleeding. Likewise, those home menopause tests are also not going to be helpful. They simply measure FSH levels in your urine. And while it's true that FSH levels rise and stay elevated once you're postmenopause, during perimenopause, those FSH levels are up and down and all over the place and a single level tells you nothing. So don't waste your money. And that's why a sample of the uterine lining is the best way to know if out-of-balance hormones are the reason your uterine lining is bleeding when it's not supposed to. Most clinicians refer to the procedure as endometrial sampling or aspiration, which sounds a lot friendlier than a biopsy. Pipelle is the brand name for a type of catheter that's commonly used. So sometimes it's called a Pipelle sample, or a pipel aspiration. No matter what you call it, the whole thing sounds terrifying, but it's actually not as bad as it sounds. In fact, if you've ever had an IUD inserted, this is almost always much quicker and much less painful. So what's involved? First of all, no needles, no cutting. Basically, your clinician's going to put a speculum in your vagina and then thread a very thin, flexible catheter through the cervical opening and into the uterine cavity. Once the catheter is in the right place, then you use that little catheter to suction loose tissue from the surface of the uterine walls, which then gets sent to the lab for analysis. As far as what you can experience during this whole thing Honestly, it's all over the map. Some women feel mild to moderate cramping. Some women aren't even aware that a sample is being taken. And then, yeah, there's the rare woman who has a lot of pain, but that's the exception, not the norm. And if you do have a hard time, it helps to know the bad cramping almost never lasts longer than 30 seconds. It just seems longer. Sometimes I have a woman who asks me to stop because it hurts so much. And unless I'm just a few seconds away from finishing, I stop. I'm not into torture. And there's always an option to do it with anesthesia if it's just too painful. Even if you were not told that is the case, there is always an option to do it with anesthesia. But for 90% of the women, the discomfort's very minimal and very quick. Now, keep in mind the women on social media who talk about how excruciatingly painful it was are the exceptions. Women who have no pain or minimal pain are usually not the ones posting about their experience. The difficulty of this procedure is often directly related to how tight your cervical canal is. Someone who's had at least one vaginal delivery has a wider canal. Someone who's never delivered vaginally may have a tighter cervical opening, which can result in more cramping. Sometimes the uterus is tilted sharply forward or backward, which can also make the thing a little more difficult. 400 to 600 milligrams of ibuprofen an hour before the procedure is a really good idea. I had one patient that had at least three pre-procedure martinis. Not such a good idea. I mean, most women truly have minimal discomfort. And if there's pain, it's short-lived. In most cases, between the ultrasound and the uterine sample, the cause of the bleeding can be determined. In some cases, a dilatation and curatage, also known as a DNC, with a hysteroscopy is needed to get more tissue and to look directly into the uterine cavity. I get into the details of what's involved in that in my episode on postmenopausal bleeding. So the only thing I'm going to say about that right now is that a DNC with hysteroscopy is not routinely done to evaluate abnormal bleeding, but are only done if you don't get your answer from the ultrasound and office endometrial sample Or if something needs to be removed that was seen on one of those tests, like a polyp. Okay. In any case, once the tissue is removed, it goes off to the pathologist who does a microscopic evaluation of the tissue and provides a report to the clinician who performed the biopsy. Now, a lot of women are told their biopsy was negative. Negative means there's no cancer, which is obviously good news, but there's a lot more information to get from a biopsy that will be useful. Is there an estrogen effect, a progesterone effect? maybe a fragment of a benign polyp. The point is, is that once you get the result of your biopsy, you're going to have a pretty good idea what's going on. So let's assume that the cause of your bleeding is hormonal, no abnormal cells, no polyps, no growing fibroids. In other words, the bleeding is specifically a consequence of perimenopausal ovaries that are still making estrogen and either very little or no progesterone, resulting in Irregular bleeding, heavy bleeding, or continuous spotting. I'm going to give you six strategies to deal with this bleeding other than wearing black and inserting a tampon every damn day. Option number one, progesterone. If your ovaries are not doing their job in producing progesterone, sometimes all you need to calm down the lining of the uterus and get the bleeding under control is to supply the missing progesterone. There are a number of different protocols, which range from taking oral progesterone pills daily to taking progesterone for a week, or maybe 10 days every month. Some women take progesterone every two to three months. There's a lot of different ways to use progesterone to treat anovulatory and irregular bleeding. And I'm going to leave the nuances to your gynecologists. But the point is, for many women, a hit of oral prescription progesterone easily solves the problem. Sometimes this is a short-term treatment. Other times it needs to be continued until perimenopause morphs into menopause and your ovaries are no longer producing estrogen. There's really no downside to trying this strategy. Most women feel fine taking progesterone. Some women do have some bloating or feel a little down, but there's no long-term issues. Option number two is birth control pills perimenopausal women are experiencing wildly fluctuating hormonal shifts. Estrogen levels all over the place. Progesterone is either not being produced or is being produced sporadically. The birth control pill supplies a steady dose of estrogen and progesterone. The pill is a convenient and effective form of perimenopausal hormone therapy and is a way of saying to the ovaries, you seem confused. So we'll take it from here for the time being. I mean, birth control pills should really be labeled hormone control pills. So often women complain that doctor just wanted to put me on the pill. For many women, it's not only the right thing to do, but also the best thing to do. So given that the pill is a form of hormone therapy, why not just start menopausal doses of hormone therapy instead of putting a 46-year-old woman who doesn't need birth control on birth control? Well, two reasons. Some 46-year-old women are still at risk of getting pregnant. Low fertility is not the same as no fertility, and menopausal hormone therapy is not a contraception. Even more important, women who have fluctuating hormones and are still getting periods will often have irregular bleeding if they take postmenopause levels of hormone therapy because postmenopause levels of hormone therapy are too low to suppress ovarian function. That's right. The hormone therapy you take postmenopause is dramatically lower in strength than birth control pills. I can't tell you how many of my patients happily take birth control pills, but then have no interest in taking hormone therapy when they stop the pill because of the common misconception that the pill is safe, but hormone therapy is dangerous. Most women are pretty surprised to learn that their low-dose birth control pill has far more potent levels of estrogen and far more potential side effects than menopause hormone therapy. You need the higher dose of a birth control pill to control abnormal bleeding during perimenopause. Hormone therapy is just not going to cut it. And contrary to what you may have been told, it's safe for low-risk, non-smoking women to stay on birth control pills up to age 55. 90% of women are in menopause by their mid-50s, and then they can transition to lower-dose hormone therapy. And no, you don't need to go up the pills periodically to see if you're still getting periods. If you transition to being post-menopause when you're on the pill, you'll never know it, but great, you don't need to know it, and it doesn't really matter, particularly since that pill is also going to control symptoms beyond the bleeding, like hot flashes and insomnia. And my advice is to take your pill continuously, meaning no fake pills and no pill-free days. I mean, think about it. If you take birth control pills to control perimenopausal hormonal fluctuations, not only is it okay to skip the hormone-free days, but it makes a lot more sense. I mean, the goal is to avoid hormonal fluctuations. And the best way to do that is to supply your body with the same amount of hormones every single day day. Some women worry that it's medically a problem to not get a period on the pill. When the pill was first released for use as a contraception in 1960, it was prescribed to include that hormone-free week to ensure a normal menstrual period, not because it was medically necessary, but because the scientists who invented the pill thought that maintaining a normal menstrual cycle would make women more comfortable. I mean, think about it. It was a group of guys that decided that women liked to get their periods, and so they designed the birth control pills so that they would continue to get their periods. The truth is there is and never was a medical benefit to that week off, and there are several medical advantages beyond wearing white pants without fear to skipping the pill-free intervals and take an active pill 365 days a year. For the perimenopausal woman, taking a pill continuously means smooth sailing, no hormonal fluctuations, no irregular bleeding, no menstrual migraines, no crazy PMS symptoms, and no unpredictable hot flashes. It's kind of like cheating, right? But why not? So taking your birth control pill continuously is fine for perimenopausal women. And by the way, it's perfectly safe for women of any age. So tell your daughters. This approach, of course, has the tampon companies in a total panic. But not everyone can or wants to take a birth control pill. So moving on to option number three to regulate irregular perimenopause bleeding is IUD. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with an intrauterine device as a method of contraception, but progestogen IUDs also have a number of non-contraceptive benefits. And one of those benefits is controlling perimenopausal abnormal bleeding. Like taking an oral progestogen, it makes perfect sense. Your perimenopausal ovaries are not making progestogen and the lining is thick and shedding unpredictably. It is dying for a little progesterone. So by putting progesterone directly into the uterus, the lining calms down. And if the bleeding stops and you decide eventually to go on hormone therapy, Leave that IUD right where it is because you can use it instead of oral progestogen to protect your uterine lining when you take estrogen to treat your hot flashes, mood swings, and insomnia. I explain all that in episode 80 when progesterone is a problem. If hormones of any kind are off the table or if you continue to bleed despite taking progesterone or being on the pill or using an IUD, you may want to consider option number four, endometrial ablation. If you've seen an advertisement for uterine ablation, a process that destroys the lining of the uterus to eliminate periods, you'd imagine that every woman who's had this procedure spends her time dressed all in white, happily walking, dancing, or riding her bike on the beach. Clearly, those who've been suffering from heavy bleeding are highly motivated to get back into their white clothes and spend a day in the sun. As tempting as it is to jump on the ablation bandwagon, there are few things to consider before booking. Endometrial ablation works by putting a tissue-destroying device into the uterine cavity through the cervical opening. Ablation in the office is is quick, takes less than 15 minutes, and there's really no recovery time. You can generally return to work the next day. But endometrial ablation is not for everyone. For women with large fibroids, adenomyosis, or an irregularly shaped uterine cavity, the treatment's often ineffective. And an ablation should never, never never be performed if there is hyperplasia, cancer, precancer, or even just a high risk of uterine cancer. If there is any question as to the cause of the bleeding, again, ablation is simply not an option. But in appropriate patients, data shows that as high as 90% of women who undergo the procedure are honestly thrilled. No more heavy bleeding, no need to take medication, no need to even think about it. So, what's the downside? Complications are rare, but like any surgical procedure, even a minor procedure, complications can occur. Some women undergo ablation only to fail and then require another procedure to solve their problem. One concern on the part of gynecologists is potential long-term issues after a woman undergoes ablation. If a woman who's had an endometrial ablation develops abnormal bleeding down the road when she's postmenopause, the usual ways to evaluate bleeding, such as ultrasound and endometrial biopsy, aren't as reliable. And that's why it should never be done in women who are at high risk for uterine cancer. And for a perimenopausal woman who may only be dealing with heavy or irregular bleeding for a few months, it probably isn't worth the expense and trouble of having a procedure, but it's on the list. Options one through four are good options and will work for most women, but none of these options will work in 100% of women. The only thing that is guaranteed, guaranteed to stop a uterus from bleeding is to remove the uterus. So option five is hysterectomy. And removing the uterus sounds drastic. And for most people, it's not necessary. But having said that, if someone is having bothersome bleeding that doesn't get better with any of the above options, or the above options are for some reason not an option, or there's other issues such as hyperplasia or fibroids, for some, hysterectomy is the best option. And if you're in that camp, I have a whole book about that called The Essential Guide to Hysterectomy. And finally, Option number six, what about just waiting it out? I mean, one of the few things you can say about perimenopause is that it won't last forever and all bleeding stops eventually. So why do anything? Well, of course you can live with the irregular periods if they're not too bothersome, if they're not too heavy, and if you've determined that nothing bad is going on. Waiting it out though is not an option if there's precancerous cells. Waiting it out is not an option if you're anemic as a result of heavy bleeding. But sure, you can just stock up on tampons and go with the flow, so to speak. But how many tampons are you going to need to buy? How long can this go on? I don't know. I can't answer that. No one can answer that. It might be a matter of getting through a few months or it could be years. Before I close this whole thing up, I want to quickly mention hyperplasia, because I did throw that out there a few times. And it's a diagnosis that comes back fairly often when someone has a sample of their uterine lining during perimenopausal abnormal bleeding. Endometrial hyperplasia is an abnormal buildup of tissue in the lining of the uterus due to unopposed estrogen stimulation meaning the uterine lining is being exposed to estrogen, but there's no progesterone to even things out, and it goes on long enough to cause these cells to look abnormal. Perimenopausal women still making estrogen, but again, don't ovulate regularly, which is why hyperplasia is not uncommon. Not normal, but not uncommon. Hyperplasia is also more commonly seen in women who have obesity, since estrogen is made in fat cells. Women who take tamoxifen, for treatment or prevention of breast cancer are another group that's at increased risk. But plenty of women develop hyperplasia without having any of those risk factors. There are different types of hyperplasia, and the type of hyperplasia determines the potential for uterine cancer down the road. In other words, not all hyperplasias are precancerous conditions. Hyperplasia Without atypia, also known as simple hyperplasia, means that no precancerous cells exist and the progression to uterine cancer is extremely unlikely. Hyperplasia without atypia can generally be treated with medication or placement of a progestogen IUD. Hyperplasia with atypical cells is more serious and considered to be potentially precancerous. 28% of women with atypical hyperplasia ultimately develop uterine cancer. If you have hyperplasia, whether it's simple or with atypia, it needs to be treated. So, Joe, that was a long answer to your question. But assuming you've had a proper evaluation, treating with an oral progestogen is a totally appropriate first step to get your crazy periods back on track. But for whatever reason, that doesn't work out. You can also consider birth control pills, an IUD, an endometrial ablation, and just potentially waiting it out. And one of the few promises I can make is it won't go on forever. I am so excited to announce that I'm launching Mastering Menopause Getaways, a series of retreats in really beautiful locations with an opportunity to have one-on-one interactions with the top menopause mavens in the country. These retreats are intended for women who want real information from the experts. Now, there's a lot of menopause retreats out there. And if you decide to attend one of those other retreats, you'll likely get something like fire rituals that celebrate your now in menopause, smoothies that claim to help hot flashes, and a lot of useless products. At my mastering menopause getaway retreat, like those other retreats, you will stay at a fabulous resort with activities like hiking, Pilates, massages, bird watching, phenomenal food. But here's the difference. You're also going to get symposiums and small breakout sessions with world-renowned certified menopause experts. You will get science-based solutions for your hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, weight gain, and bone health. My mastering menopause away will be a goop-free zone. So if you're interested, check out the link in my bio or just go to drstriker.com. The first retreat is filling fast, and I'd love to see you there. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker and thank you for joining me. You will find lots more information in my Inside Information books available on Amazon.com. And follow Francie as she navigates her way through vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and pretty much every menopausal symptom you can think of.